0: For our scripture reading this evening, we're in Revelation chapter 19. So if you could take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Revelation chapter number 19, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And after these things I heard a great voice, of much people in heaven, saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah." And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing scene this is that we just read together. So, so full of praise and honor and glory, full of alleluia to you, to who you are, to your victory, to your power. Lord, we we couldn't say it enough. If we spent all day praising and honoring you, it wouldn't be enough. And Lord, I just, just pray that we would just commit ourselves this evening and in the future to worshiping and honoring and praising you more, uh, because that's what we're going to spend eternity doing. And Lord, I thank you for this marriage supper of the Lamb that... That the that the church the saints are called to and i I love that phrase the, the righteousness of the saints you have made us righteous Jesus when when you look when you look at us you see your your son and his shed blood what an amazing thing that is to think about father I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight help us as preacher comes to preach to us fill him with your holy spirit and I just pray that we would um, just again think and, uh, about and really truly ponder upon how, how worthy you are to be, uh, to be praised and honored tonight. And speak to us, convict us, and, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Scenes of glory in heaven. Revelation chapter 19 is a, an amazing chapter. This is a scene here that changes from the solemn fall of Babylon in chapter 18 that we talked about last week, to the songs of praise that come from heaven here in this chapter tonight. The chapter opens up with the hallelujahs of heaven ringing, and it closes the end of the chapter, which we won't get there to tonight, but it closes with hell open. I want us to take a look at these verses and, and just witness a little bit the scene that is given to us here in heaven. Notice with me, first of all, the anthems of the saved the anthems of the saved, in these first six verses, you read that word "alleluia" or hallelujah as we use it a lot of times today. It says, after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, that's the Babylonish system, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great, and I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And think about that last part of that verse. He says, the voice of mighty thunderings. You ever been in a real severe thunderstorm? And boy, you hear that thunder just rolling. And and God says, that's what is going to sound like, a mighty thunder. These voices that are praising the Lord, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Notice with me, first of all, the anthems of the saved. The the anthems of the saved. There are hallelujahs in heaven. The hallelujah chorus is sung there. Four times the word hallelujah or hallelujah and amen are lifted high in these verses. These two words seem to be the same in every language. They are common words of praise. They are Words that the heavenly host, you might say, loan to us as men so that we can express our, help, our worship to the Lord and can have the privilege and the opportunity of praising him. I read about two men who once met aboard an ocean liner. One of them was white and the other man was black. They were from two different countries. They had never met before, but they both were Christians. Both men felt out of place among the pleasure seekers that were on the deck of the of the ship. Each of them carried a Bible in his hand. They met, shook hands, tried to exchange some words of, of encouragement to each other and greeting to each other, but the barrier of language stood between them and they didn't understand each other. And then one of them had an idea. He said, Hallelujah! And the other man looked at him and said, Amen! And they had found a common language of praise hallelujah amen are languages that are words that that cross all language barriers the news of babylonian fall in chapter 18 prompt, prompts the praise of those in heaven in chapter 19 amen in the bible is a word of assent or agreement to the word of god when we're preaching and somebody says amen, they're saying, I agree with you, or we say, so be it, or that's right. When amen is used at the beginning of a sentence, it means truly. When it comes at the end of a sentence, it means so be it, or I agree. Amen is said to be the most well-known word in all of the world. Hallelujah is used only one place in the New Testament. and That's here in this 19th chapter of Revelation, and it's used four times in this chapter in verse 1 and 3 and 4, and again in verse number 6. It gives glory to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We need to be about the business of praising God, don't we? Be good for us once in a while to say hallelujah, wouldn't it? Thank you. Let's say it together. Ready? Hallelujah. All right, good. That's the first time some of you have ever said hallelujah in church. Amen? Good. We'll work on that a little bit. Some people think that they're too dignified to say amen or hallelujah or praise the Lord in church. The problem is we're not too dignified. We're too petrified, aren't we? <laughs> we're scared to death when we say something like that. But it's okay. It's okay to say praise the Lord and amen and hallelujah. There are four hallelujahs that are given in this passage that ring out in heaven. First of all, there's the hallelujah of redemption, The hallelujah, hallelujah of redemption, and it speaks of the salvation of God, the salvation of God. In verse number one, they said, "Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God." Again, in verse number five, a voice came out of the throne saying, "Praise our God, all ye His servants." and ye that fear him, both small and great. We're to praise the Lord. Although it is used 24 times in the Old Testament, as I said, this is the first time it appears in the New Testament. The saints of heaven are praising God for his salvation, for his splendor, and for his strength. This shout in heaven is for the salvation of our God, and it's given of much people or by much people, by many people. One of the old preachers of years gone by was a man by the name of Billy Bray. Billy Bray was a preacher to the Cornish people. And he used to say, my right foot says hallelujah and my left foot says amen. He was all the time shouting and praising the Lord. One time Billy Bray got in, an arg- in, a, in a debate with, a, with a, an evolutionist in, in, I think it was down around Atlanta, Georgia area. And in this debate, Billy Bray, was just, he was just tearing this guy up, rip, ripping him to shreds. And finally the guy got flustered and he looked at Billy Bray and he said, you little run, he was just a little short guy, he said, you little run I ought to chew you up and swallow you. And Billy Bray looked at him and said, if you did, big boy, you'd have more brains in your stomach than you do in your head, he said. <laughs> but he was one of those guys that was just all the time praising the Lord. An old saint was shouting and praising God for his salvation in a cold, formal, dead church one day, and they told him to be quiet. And he said, I can't help it, i got religion. And their reply was, you didn't get it here. Huh. Well, that's probably true of some churches, isn't it? Some of you remember Brother Jim Dellismith that used to come here to our church before, obviously, before he went to heaven, but Brother Jim he used to tell a story about an old man that was saying amen and hallelujah in another cold, dead, formal church, and, and uh, he was told to be quiet. They said, we don't do that here, and so he sat still for a while, and after a while, the, the old man said amen, and somebody came over and they said, listen, you're going to have to be quiet. If you keep doing that, we're going to have to take you out, and he sat for a while quietly, and this preacher said something he liked, and he said amen, and And four ushers came, and they literally picked him up under the arms, and they helped him out of the service. And as he was going out, he one more time shouted, and he said, Praise God, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on one, and I'm getting carried out by four, he said. (laughs) It's all right to say amen and hallelujah and praise the Lord. Nobody will carry you out here, all right? And I hope if you got religion, you got it here. I hope you got more than religion, you got salvation. Amen. Secondly, there's the hallelujah of retribution. In verses 2 and 3, it speaks of the severity of God. Verse 2 says, For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and forever. God, in his love and in his patience, has stayed his hand so long that sometimes it almost seems like he doesn't care about the wrongs that are being done here on this earth. And the ages roll on, and the wickedness increases and flourishes and and multiplies but in the end, you can rest assured, God always will act. He will act. And His judgment is always just and right. God knows all the facts. He knows everything. Make no mistake, He is in charge and His justice will come. And in heaven, they are saying hallelujah, they are rejoicing because of the judgment of the great whore, the Babylonian system, the worldly system that was was there and has been destroyed and brought down. And it's interesting that he says there in verse 2, the true and, r- true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. They are rejoicing that finally the blood of those who died for the cause of Christ is being re- avenged. And so you see the severity of God and it literally erased the city of Babylon and erased that system, that Babylonian system here on earth. We talked about that some last week. There's a third hallelujah in this passage, and that is the hallelujah of realization. The hallelujah of realization. That represents the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. In verse number 4, he says, And the four and twenty elders and four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. This is the last time the 24 elders and the four beasts are mentioned in Revelation. They appear first when the throne, symbolic of the sovereignty of God, is introduced. And they appear now at the end of times here in Revelation to say a hearty amen to the judgment of God that's coming upon the Babylonian system and a hallelujah because of the glorious triumph of the throne of God. He is sitting on the throne and he is on high. And we leave them here the last time we see them, prostrate before God, worshiping him and saying amen, hallelujah. By the way, I believe that's a position that they are always found in when they represent and emphasize the sovereignty of God. To bow before him. We have a mighty God. He's worthy of our worship. Sometimes people flippantly say, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to walk up and shake his hand. Or even emotionally, sometimes people say, I'm going to hug his neck. And and I understand what they're saying, but I believe when we see Almighty God, we're going to fall on our faces before him. The awe and the the glory of his light and the, the beauty of what we'll see when we see him, we'll bow before him. From their standpoint, The sovereignty of God is something that is very much worthy of praise. That should be true from our standpoint as well. He is worthy of our praise. When we get to heaven, wonderful thing, you think about this. When we get to heaven, we will then be all that God wants us to be. Amen? What a realization. That's something worth saying hallelujah and amen about, isn't it? When we're all he wants us to be. It is real. And then, fourthly, we have the hallelujah of the reign of Christ. And that represents the supremacy of God. The reign of Christ, in verse number 6, he says to us, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. What an amazing thing. Could anything be more majestic than that? You know, sometimes I see some of these stadiums that were packed and filled with people. I think Ohio State, I can mention that since Ken Haney's not here tonight. Uh, Ohio State Stadium, I think, holds over 100,000 people. And when you get that many people in there for a football game, and you hear that crowd roaring when, when Ohio State scores a touchdown or something. You know, can you imagine what it's going to be like for the great multitudes of heaven? Amen. Roaring, hallelujah, amen, and giving praise and glory to the Lord. When every being in heaven lifts their voice in love and praise and adoration to God from the humblest saint to the mightiest cherubim, joined together in a great chorus to sing hallelujah. I remember when I was in college, we used to have several different choirs in the college. And at Christmas time, they'd put all the choirs together, and they would sing the hallelujah chorus. They would, they would do the Messiah and sing the hallelujah chorus. But the, the the church building there seated, I think, then about... I want to say 4,500, 4, something like that. They built a new building later that seated over 7,000 people. But they had the whole choir back here, and then they had choirs all the way up. They had a balcony on this side and on this side and across the back. They had one, some of the choirs all the way through the balcony. All the way, and when you'd hear that vast choir of people, hun, several hundreds of people singing Hallelujah and singing that Hallelujah chorus, what a tremendous thing it was. To hear them as they sang and as they praised the Lord. The hallelujah of the reign of Christ. You know, we sing the song sometimes and it's so true. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? It'll be worth it all when we get to see Him and when we get to praise Him. So you have the anthems of the saved. Secondly, I want you to notice the announcement of the supper. In verses 7 through 10, He talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says in verse 10, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's interesting in verse 10, when John bowed down, he fell at his feet to worship, that he's told, see thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. You see, the angels and all the people in heaven understand that man is not the one to be worshipped. It is God. You know, it would be a good thing for some of these uh, quote-unquote televangelists to learn that it's God that is to be worshipped. You don't oftentimes hear them say, don't worship me, worship God. You don't often hear them say, don't praise me, praise God. Too oftentimes people are trying to draw attention to themselves. And John stopped and said, oh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not worthy. And by the way, neither are we. Only he is worthy of our praise. Only he is worthy of our worship. And so there's the announcement of the supper. I've oftentimes thought about what we're going to have to eat at the married supper of the Lamb. I'm sure all of us have different ideas. Um, fried chicken, <laughs> amen. Banana pudding, right? And it's banana pudding, it's not, not banana pudding, right? Banana pudding, fried okra, uh, some of those good things. Vicky's going to have to work on her carrot cake and get that ready. And, but the things that we'll have uh, I don't know what the, Lord, what the Lord will serve. I'm sure it'll probably be healthy. It'll be something that'll be good for us to eat, and we'll need to, we'll need to eat the, the right kinds of food. But it, anything will be wonderful to be with the Lord, won't it? Songwriter said, It's heaven to me, where'er I may be, if he is there. It's Jesus what makes it heaven to us, amen? And we get to be a part of this marriage of the Lamb. There's been much controversy over the years, about the identity of the bride of Christ. When he says to us in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who is the wife? Who is the bride of Christ? Some say the bride of Christ is Israel. Others say the bride of Christ is the church. It is true that in the Old Testament, Israel is called the wife of Jehovah, the wife of God. Hosea's great cry was that Israel, who represented the wife of God, was divorced for her wickedness and her immorality. And in a coming day, that divorced wife will be forgiven and cleansed and restored. But that's not the picture that's seen here in Revelation. We have here the bringing together of Christ and His bride. At last... His bride is brought to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 2, the Bible says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. As believers in Jesus Christ are seen collectively and symbolically as the bride of Christ. If you're saved tonight and you're a part of the family of God, you're a part of the bride of Christ. You're one of his and you belong to him, and we'll get to be a part of that wedding that's going to take place in heaven. All believers in Jesus Christ are seen collectively and symbolically as the bride of Christ. Two things follow the rapture for the child of God. The next thing on God's timetable for us is the rapture. Trumpet sounds we're called up together, those of us that are saved, to be with the Lord. The lost are left here on this earth to go through the seven-year tribulation period. And then the millennial reign of Christ will take place. But after the rapture, there's going to be two things for those of us who are saved. First of all, there's going to be the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for our lives. The Bible said we will be judged for our works. Now remember this, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged for sin. Our sin was judged on the cross. Jesus paid for all of our sin. Past, present, future, they're all paid for. Now, that doesn't mean I can go out and live and do anything I want to. Because if I don't live right, as a child of God, what does the Lord do? Whom he loveth, he chasteneth. He'll chasten me, correct me, to bring me back into fellowship with him. He knows how to take care of his kids and discipline them and keep us in line. He knows how to do that. But there's going to be the judgment seat. We're going to answer to the Lord for the motives and for the works that we have done for the Lord. What are you doing for the Lord? Remember, in Matthew, Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven through our giving to the work of the Lord, but I think also through our work that we do for the Lord. And we, the motive for which we do if we do it for the wrong reason, there's no reward for it. And we'll, it will at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I think 2 Corinthians 3 says it will be burned up so as by fire. I heard a story one time about a man who died and went to heaven. And this is just a story, but I think it has an application to us. But he said he, he and, and it was with God and the people in heaven were listening in on the services down here on earth. And he said some of the services, they heard a lot of singing and praising and they heard the, the Word of God preached and various things that were done. And then other church services, they listened in and they didn't hear anything. It was just like silent. They asked the Lord, what's the difference? Why do we hear some?" And the Lord said, it's because of the motive of what they're doing. See, are we singing, praising, working, giving, all that we do, are we doing it for the right reason? Are we doing it for the glory of God? Are we doing it so we get the credit and the praise? That's the wrong motives. Those things are going to burn up. But we'll all face the judgment seat of Christ. And then there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. After the judgment seat of Christ, I don't know how long it will take. There's seven years from the rapture till till coming back and setting up the millennium. So part of that seven years will be the judgment seat of Christ. Part of it will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what a wonderful time that will be. There are three things that are involved there. The rapture will catch us up. The judgment seat of Christ will clean us up. And the marriage supper of the Lamb will cheer us up. So I want you to notice as we think about this marriage supper and the marriage of the bride, notice the oriental background for the marriage supper. In the Bible days, when a person got married, they first of all, they were betrothed. It's kind of like what we call an engagement. They got engaged. Spouses were usually chosen by their parents. Vicky and I visited a, a couple uh, last week, I think it was, and they were sharing their testimony, how they came to Christ and and they shared with us how, and these were folks who, who are from another uh, culture and another country, and, and their parents arranged their marriage. And in Bible days, much of the marriages were arranged. I, I'm thankful that I got to pick my own wife, and I'm sure most of you are thankful for that too. And we get to make those choices. But there's the betrothal, the engagement, and, and the, the spouses, as I said, in the Bible days were chosen by the, by the uh, parents. We get to choose, but we should, in our society as Christians, we should wait for the approval of the parents. It is proper for a young man who's going to ask a young lady to marry him to ask her father for permission to ask her for marriage. I can remember when uh, my son-in-law Joel asked me about marrying Kelly, and I kind of gave him a little bit of a hard time. and what he didn't know was I knew he had already asked her, and then he's coming and asking me. So I gave him a little bit of a hard time, but but uh, that's a whole whole other story there. But the proper way is to ask first. In fact, girls, before you give your heart to another guy, you make sure your dad says it's okay to give your heart to him. So then after the approval of the parents, then the groom asks the bride's dad for permission, and then the preparation is made for the dwelling place. The bride, the the groom, would go then and prepare the home, the place where they would live, before they got married. And that's pictured for us in John 14 and verse 2. When Jesus said, John 14, 1, he said, um, Jesus said, "'Let not your heart be troubled.'" You believe in God, believe also in me. Then he went on and said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So we are the bride, we are espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has gone to prepare a place for us. And one of these days he's coming back for his bride. And he's going to take us to that place that he has prepared for us. Now, let me just say this. It was never a long period of time after the groom asked the bride for her hand in marriage and they were espoused before the place was prepared and he came to get her for marriage. It may have been a year or so, but it wasn't a long period of time. I say that because it seems like long to us waiting for Jesus to come back but remember, the Bible says with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So I'm not sure how God's counting that. But in that, in that sense, from when the Lord went back to heaven and he's preparing a place for us, it's only been a couple of days. Now, I hope there's not going to be a whole lot more days. Amen? We're looking for him to come back at any moment to take us to be with him. But he's preparing a place. And what a wonderful place that he's preparing. The groom would come with his friends to get the bride and to take her home to the place he had prepared for them. And then gifts were exchanged. Then they had a great festival. So you had the betrothal, and then you had the presentation, and then you had the festival. And here's an interesting thing. As you think about that festival, the length and the lavishness of the marriage celebration would depend on the wealth of the bridegroom. Think about that when we're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. The length and the lavishness of the ceremony depends on the wealth of the bridegroom. What kind of wealth does our bridegroom have? It'll be a wonderful time, won't it? And then I want you to notice with me the centrality of the bridegroom. Verse number 7 says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to, what's the next word? Look at verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. It's interesting, it says, give honor to Him. I don't know about you, but I like that. I like the idea we're giving honor to Him, but kind of in our society today, the Him doesn't get much honor in the ceremony, does He? In the whole situation. Our society, the bride, is the center of attention there's everything's about everything of the wedding's all about the bride there's the society page when the announcement of the engagement is put into paper sometimes and the parties and the showers and the ceremony it all builds up to that piano or organ that begins to play. Here comes the bride, and everybody stands and the bride comes out it 's all about the bride. the groom he just shows up he 's really. Totally unimportant. (laughs) But in heaven, it's going to be different. It's going to be all about the groom. Jesus will be the center of attention. Amen? It'll be about him. And then notice the coming of the bride. Again, verse number 7, it says, They gave honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. The important thing is she is ready. She's ready. Brides today spend a lot of time to get getting ready for the wedding, don't they? Sometimes months, sometimes even years. Sometimes much of their life is spent thinking ahead and, and, and what they want to do and how they want to do it all. I've had people ask me many times, would I rather do a wedding or a funeral? I'd rather do a funeral any day than a wedding. <laughs> I don't get any complaints from the, from the participant in the funeral. <laughs> uh. But you've got that bride has all of her ideas and how she's going to do it and everything. The, the, thing, the fact is she's ready. She spent a lot of time and work to get ready. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the dearest object in all of the universe to the Lord Jesus Christ because we are her, his bride. At the moment of conversion, you and I trusted Christ. We were espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we received the engagement ring of the earnest of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. But the wedding has been postponed now for many years. One day, the glorious bridegroom in heaven, who is now preparing a place for us, will come back and receive us unto himself. And we have the promise that he is coming again and he will keep his promise. At the beginning of Revelation, the rapture takes place, back in chapter number 4. Now the time of the wedding has come, and the bride is ready. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you're ready. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Ephesians five twenty-seven that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What a wonderful thing. We are ready. And I trust that you are ready for Jesus to come back. And then I want you to notice the righteousness that, exp- that is explained in verse number 8. The righteousness explained. He says, And to her, to the bride, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen is the righteousness of the saints. The righteousness of the saints. What is the righteousness of the saints? There are three types of righteousness that are described in the Bible. First of all, there is personal righteousness. There is personal righteousness. If you go back with me a moment to the book of Isaiah, I want you to look at verse uh, chapter 64 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 64 and look at verse number 6. As we think about the personal righteousness. Now, we understand that we have no righteousness of our own. Amen? He says in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6, it says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind have taken us away. The righteousness in Revelation chapter 19 is not talking about personal righteousness. We have no personal righteousness of ourselves. We talked about it a little bit this morning. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. In fact, 2 Corinthians talks about that. There's the personal righteousness. Secondly, there's provided righteousness provided righteousness. In verse number 8 again, back here in, this, in Revelation chapter 19, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Where did she get the fine linen? It was given to her. It is provided righteousness. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And again, the verse in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians five twenty one, For he, that's talking about God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's provided righteousness. When I trust Christ as my Savior, he takes away my sins, he gives me his righteousness. He provided his righteousness for me and for you, and that's the only reason why we qualify to go to heaven, because we have his righteousness. And then the third type of righteousness is practical righteousness. There's practical righteousness. Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me, and verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Well, let's start back in verse number 12. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says there, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, and not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. It is God that works in us to will and to do His good pleasure. During our earthly life, the believer prepares himself for this day that we're reading about in Revelation chapter 19. The garments that beautify the bride are said to be given her because any good work, any righteous deed, any praiseworthy act that you and I do is the work of the Holy Spirit of God in us. It is God that makes us willing, and it is God that helps us to do it. Again, Philippians 2.13 tells us that. It is God who worketh in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. These righteous acts, these things that we do, the will of God, that that he puts the desire in us, he helps us, gives us the ability to do it, those righteous acts are the fine linen, he says, clean and white, in which we are arrayed to meet the groom in heaven. That's how we're getting ready now. We're made ready when we get saved by receiving the provided righteousness of Jesus Christ. But we are preparing, in a sense, those garments by the will of God that we do, the work that God has for us, we're getting ready. And so we find that the bride here, she's ready and she's robed. She's clothed properly. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you ready? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? I hope that you have. Are you robed? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And are you clothed with any righteous acts that you're doing? Clothed in our good works that God has done in us and through us. When I get to heaven, and I'm a part of this bride of Christ, I know I'll have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but I also want to be clothed in those righteous acts that we have done that God caused us both to want to do and enabled us to do them. It's kind of like the holy living that we talked about this morning as we live for God and as we serve Him. Could be He'll come tonight. by we'll the judgment seat of Christ. We'll have the marriage of the Lamb. It'll be a wonderful thing, won't it? And it will be, as we sing, it will be worth it all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful picture that's given to us here of what's going to take place in heaven. We look for it. We long for it. We pray with with John, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're watching and waiting. You said there's a crown for those who are watching, who are looking for your coming. I pray that every one of us here tonight will be ready and that we'll be robed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.